This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 20 of Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today I'll be discussing post-pandemic fallouts facing children, the health, developmental and social problems. I'm privileged to be joined today by Professor Mark Williams. Professor Mark Williams is an internationally recognized professor of cognitive neuroscience who has worked at top universities in Australia and overseas, including MIT in the USA. He has been published in top tier international academic journals and been widely featured in the media, including the ABC, Sky News, SBS, The Guardian, New York Times, The Economist and The New Scientist. Mark has studied how we learn and develop using cutting edge computational brain imaging analysis and the adoption of new technologies like virtual reality and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Mark now runs programs for schools and businesses on the neuroscience of learning, the neuroscience of emotions and the impact of modern technologies on our brains. Dr. Williams hosts Connected Teachers Academy, which is his teacher support site, and he runs regular courses, live chats, and lots of useful stuff for teachers. Mark, you were last a guest on this podcast in 2020, just as COVID-19 was hitting the world, when we discussed technology and particularly the use and addiction of devices by children. That podcast was so popular that we had to ask you to come back to help parents and children post the pandemic. Mark, you're a great advocate of technology and you're helping to develop technology across several fields of medical technology. You said with the COVID-19 pandemic that we needed to use technology even more than ever before. So there was a need to be even more aware of the potential negative effects on our health and well-being. I feel many parents will be desperate for your level of insight and potential strategies after two years of lockdowns and abnormal childhoods for their children. We've been told for years to limit screen use outside of schools, and you urged parents about this last time when we spoke. But with COVID, it's inevitable that screen times increased for both educational and social purposes, and kids will have seen and copied parents. Now, here we are post-pandemic. What are you finding? Hi, Amanda. Great to be back after so long. Uh, It doesn't actually feel like that long, but it has been two years, which is quite amazing. It is amazing. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, it is a little scary. I I probably don't have to tell you, Amanda, but um, there has been a a huge increase in mental health issues amongst children and adults um, as a result of both the pandemic, but also the fact that we're spending so much more time on devices these days, uh, which just the research is showing is not good for brain development especially, but even for adults, it's not great um, if you're on the devices for too long. And we need to be much more careful um, about how we're spending our time and why we're spending so much time on these devices. Absolutely, Mark. These post-pandemic times are finding that mental health uh, problems are soaring and psychologists, as you know, are, are sort of run off our feet at the moment. Um, 
Unfortunately, there are long waiting periods for children to see psychologists, particularly in Victoria, I'm hearing. Yeah, I think it's happening everywhere um, where psychologists are just overwhelmed by the number of people who are stressed by the pandemic. I think there's the issue of the pandemic itself. That's the unknown of what's going to happen. Um, you know, families breaking up, um, people you know, literally dying, um, which is causing huge amounts of stress. But also because we have been isolated, we are the connected species. You know, we, we, we are so connected to each other that having periods where we're actually isolated, I mean, it's why they do it as a punishment, right? We, we isolate people yeah. as a punishment. And for years, Absolutely. we used to put kids in time out because it was such a good yeah. punishment for children. Uh, we do it in prisons because it is such an awful thing to happen to someone. Mm. Um, and we've all gone through that ourselves. And so there's that issue as well. Uh, but also we've all gone onto devices. We're all spending lots and lots of hours on screens. And we know that also increases stress levels and increases anxiety levels. So, you know, the combination of all of these things is causing issues. And I think now that things are opening up, we really need to be aware of bad habits we've got into and start moving back to uh, the good habits that we had before. And if we didn't have good habits before, then perhaps changing our habits so that we are spending more time with people. You know, people yeah. are so important. We we know that the, the best way to cure someone or the best way to, uh, to help someone who's got depression or anxiety is to get them to spend time with people. It's yeah. better than any drugs we have out there is actually just spending time with people who care. Uh, so we need to be more aware of that and be spending more time face-to-face, -face, have a coffee with someone, catch up with someone. It's good for them and it's good for you. Yeah, and I guess, you know, pushing ourselves and pushing our friends and family members who have become a little bit agoraphobic, which I've seen quite a bit in my practice, where, you know, we're hearing workers are allowed to go back to the office, they're encouraged to go back to the office, and a lot of people are resisting it. Understandably, a lot of people want to continue with the work-life flexibility that they've gained through uh, the lockdowns, but so true that we need socialisation very much now and we need to really um, urge people to resist the temptation to continue to pull back and push themselves forward out of their comfort zones. Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to be aware that it's, it's really important to actually be with people uh, and to yeah. actually challenge ourselves in that way. Uh, nothing worthwhile is easy <laughs> nothing in life that is actually worth doing is really easy to do uh, so we need to we need to challenge people i think I, I work with quite a few businesses at the moment which is surprised which surprised me a little bit but i can understand why um, about trying to get their staff back in mm -hmm. the office um, and businesses can help can enable that by having things organized for their workers but also not having everybody come in on the same day uh, spreading it out. I know a lot of businesses are now organising it so that, um, you know, it, uh, it's a Monday and a Friday that everybody comes in. But of course, that means yeah. that uh, it's much more overwhelming for everybody. Yeah. So having it split up where you have um, different groups coming in at different times to yeah. work with each other or having more flexible time as in you don't have to get in there till 10 o'clock, but you work a bit mm -hmm. later or you come in early and you can oh. leave earlier. I think flexibility can come in many different forms um, yeah. and just being able to work at home is just one form of flexibility, but I think there's lots of other ways businesses can be a lot more flexible. The whole idea of, you know, we have to work Monday to Friday and then we have the weekend off again, we could change that. We could have businesses working 
seven days a week, but you only you choose the five days that you come in, and then yeah. you know, it's much easier for you. Uh, I know my kids are now teenagers, and so they do a lot of sport on weekends. So it could actually yeah. be easier to you know spend one day when they're doing their sport all day um, at yeah. work and having a day off during the week when I can get stuff done and it's much easier. So I think, yeah, flexibility is great, but I think we need to think about other ways of being flexible because sitting at home in front of a screen is not good for us, not good for us at all. Um, and we need to realise that and we need to be you know, getting out there and, and, and spending time with people. And it's also not good for the business. Exactly. And kids have been watching their parents sitting in, in front of screens, of course. How's that affected kids? Yeah, it's, uh, the increase in mental health issues is far worse amongst children, which is really sad. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that their frontal lobes, especially the prefrontal cortex, isn't fully developed yet. And that area of the brain is involved in attention and involved in controlling uh, our sustained attention and our ability to inhibit things. Um, and that is really affected by being on screens. Um, and so this area that isn't fully developed yet uh, is really negatively affected by being on screens and they're spending more and more time on screens. It's, it was interesting during the first lockdown, um, afterwards I was working with a whole bunch of school psychologists and one of them came from Western Sydney and, and their school couldn't did, didn't have the opportunity to go online because most of the kids came from households who had maybe only one computer in the house and there'd be multiple yeah. children or not even one computer, not even access to one computer. So instead of actually going online, they had the teachers go around to the, the students' houses once a week. Um, so each day they go to a different group of students and drop off their homework um, and then sit down with them on the front lawn and actually chat to them and see how things were going. Now they fared much better than most of the other schools. Um, wow. and they, yeah, they fared really well because of the fact the teachers were eyeballing them, so they were actually sitting yeah. down, they were doing all that face-to-face, -face, almost like a counselling session with the children, how's it all going, getting feedback as to what was working and what wasn't working. And also the, the kids had, you know, folders that they had to work through, which is all mm. pen and paper, old school. Uh, so they weren't spending long hours on computers and on screens. And, and yeah, they, they, they fared a lot better than, than any other school that I actually worked with, uh, which was really surprising. And the teachers also enjoyed it because they actually got to get out. Um, they yeah. had a reason to get out of the house, which, which you know, during lockdown, it was very stressful because we all felt as though we had to stay home. Um, and they got to see these kids face, face to face, which which was very good for their mental health as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we really need to think about that. And then, you know, you compare that there was a private girls' school um, that had multiple attempted suicides um, after the first... Yeah lockdown um, and they were spending all day on the screens and you had them from you know they, they had them get in their uniform and sit down in front of a screen and basically be on the screen the whole day until the end of the day and then and then switch off at the end of the day but of course then we weren't switching off because we weren't allowed out of the house so then you'd watch tv or you'd do whatever or you know teenagers of course would go into their rooms and pull out their phones uh, and start, you know, so-called socialising on their phones, which of course we know is also a huge issue. Um, but but there is that two different issues. There's the issue with your younger children who aren't developing abilities that they need, um, and then yep. there's the issue with your teenagers who aren't socialising and and they need to socialise because it's so critical at that age in their teenage years to actually socialise. And, and 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 we need to be working on both of those issues. Both of them, the outcomes are different but 
the cause mm. is the same. That is, they're just spending too much time on screens. So these developmental issues at both ages of younger children and teenagers that are we're seeing developing because there's a lack of physical socialisation. And so those developmental delays that are going to be there, how do people and parents help their children catch up? Yeah, I mean, there's been some nice studies showing that you can catch up. Um, there was a great study done with grade four, or grade five children. I'm not quite sure, sorry. Um, with you know, primary school children, they simply, they, they looked at their uh, facial expression perception ability, so how they can, how good they were um, at, at empathising, at understanding the emotions of another person. They found they were significantly dropped compared to what they should be at that age. And this wow. was normal kids. This wasn't anything yeah. unusual. This was normal kids who were normal amount of time. They then took yeah. them away on a camp for five days. And after that five days, it significantly increased. So their, their wow. ability to recognise facial expressions have increased, which is fantastic because it suggests that yeah. if we do pull them away now, it will bounce back. Attention is, is another issue. We're not really, there's not a lot of good evidence that, that can bounce back, um, but our brains are plastic, and they're plastic throughout yeah. our lives. So, you know, I have no doubt that you can improve it, and we know that you can improve your attention by doing different uh, tasks and by focusing on one thing rather than having multiple things. But we need to to be working on that and pulling kids yeah. back from where they are now, so that they're spending more time actually developing those those really crucial uh, areas of their brain, so that they can be more productive when they're older. So parents could lean into their child's concentration by asking them to focus on one task for a bit longer each time? Yeah, exactly. So there's a Pomodoro technique, which I've worked with a lot. I, I use it from any everything from CEOs all the way down to primary school kids. I actually had a, a teacher in the UK. She had a new student coming into her class who... Uh, was a truant and had autism and had attention deficit issues. We worked with the Pomodoro technique and within a term, within the first term, this child was concentrating for longer, but also was asking her parents on a Saturday if she could go to school because she actually wanted oh. to go to school. I mean, this was a kid that prior to that was a truant. But, but the basic idea about the Pomodoro technique is that you just concentrate on one thing for a set amount of time. Uh, right. With younger kids, you do it for a shorter duration. So... For an adult, it's 25 minutes is the set time that you're supposed to work on. But, of course, you start much younger. I worked with school psychologists where we've started at one minute with kids with ADD, ADHD. It's somewhere in between that for, for a normal child and depending on their age. But you set a clock, a timer for that amount of time, and they just focus on one thing until that time runs out. And then they have a break. So they stand up and move around and run around and yeah. do whatever. And if you want to keep then you do that again. So usually... With an adult, it is 25 minutes and then a five-minute break, then 25 minutes and a five-minute break. And you do that four times, and then you have a longer break. Um, mm -hmm. With younger kids, you do it for shorter periods of time, and you slowly build it up. So with the kids with ADHD, what we do is we start at one minute, and then we slowly build it up. I was working at a school in southeast Sydney. There we had six kids who all had ADHD and had, had behavioural problems. And they're all now working for 20 minutes at a time. Wow. Uh, yeah, able to focus in class without behavioural problems, without disruptions and so on, which is fantastic. But that took time to build up, but you can build it up. The really important thing is that they're focusing on one thing. 
and just yeah. that one thing. You can't have mobile phones around. <laughs> you can't have uh, emails opened. You can't have things dinging. You know, they've got yeah. to be sitting there and just focusing on that one thing and that one thing only for that period of time. And the reason it works is because you have the timer there so that they can see how much time they've got left. So yeah. if you get to two minutes and you're starting to, you know, waver, you can look at it and go, oh, I've only got two minutes left. I can concentrate for that amount of time. Yeah. Whereas in a normal classroom, they don't really know how long they're expected to keep going. Yeah. And so as soon as they get bored, they'll start, you know, messing up or whatever. Yeah. So it's really important to have that timer there for them so that you can actually see how much time is, is left. And I use that technique myself. I, I use it all the time because it really, really does make you productive. It really makes you concentrate on that one thing and get things done. And I can yeah. usually get more done in the morning if I do the Pomodoro than I'll do in you know, a couple of days if wow. I'm just yeah, floating all over the place. Fantastic. And thinking about this attention span loss of concentration that's been happening, my understanding of resilience is that it's part self-regulation and part social competency. So you can see how kids have lost both. Mm. So then they're not going to be as resilient coming out of this pandemic. No, that's, and, and we're seeing that, I mean, both with kids and adults, that we're really not anywhere near as resilient as we were before. Every time we see, you know, a, you know cases going up or we see something, or, you know, the school notifies us, there's been another case at the school. It's like, you know, throw everything away and I want to walk yeah. out of here and, and, and not have anything to do with it anymore. So I think, yeah, we're, we're all less resilient than we were, which is why we're mm. seeing more issues and why people aren't coping as well. And so you know, socialising is going to really improve that. We know you're just spending time with people. And it's also really good for your brain because it activates more of your brain than anything else you do. So if you want to stop yourself, or not stop yourself, but if you want to delay Alzheimer's, socialise. It actually yeah. delays Alzheimer's disease. It delays other degenerative diseases. Uh, it, it improves mental health. It, decreased likelihood of anxiety and stress and yeah. all these things. So socialising is so important. I recently did a, a session for a, an investment company, actually, and one of the junior members of the investment company said, so what you're basically telling us is you, you want us to sleep more and spend more time with our friends. And I was like, yeah, that's basically what I'm telling you. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be, yeah. uh, you know, have less sick days uh, and you're going to be way more creative and innovative than you would be if you didn't. So it is really important to spend time with people and, and that's going to develop that ability. But it's really important for kids. Uh, it's a thing that really worries me is because so many mm. kids today are addicted to either gaming or they're addicted to social media. And so they're spending all this time on either social media or on gaming and they're not socialising. And gaming's not socialising and social media is not socialising. Socialising is spending time with someone face-to-face -face and having a discussion with them, back-to-forth discussion with them, which you don't get on any of those. No, and, and increasingly I'm hearing that kids hang out together, but then they're on their phones mm. with each other. So they're not face to face, they're side by side, talking through their phones with each other or showing or doing things on their phones together. It's so shocking. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and um, we, we've evolved for millions of years to understand how each of us is feeling by looking at each other's faces and bodies, you know, face yeah. perception facial expression perception, body language, 
and eye contact are all hugely important triggers for understanding what someone's thinking, how they're feeling, and then reacting to that yourself. If you're looking at a phone, you don't get that. And we know there's been some lovely studies showing that if you're sitting at a desk or, or, or at, a, at a table having a coffee with someone and they have a phone on the table, the conversation is nowhere near as in-depth. So you don't have serious conversations with someone if you know that they've got their phone on yeah. the desk next to them or in their pocket because they're going to be interrupted and it's not going to be worth getting into an in-depth conversation oh, with them. So we're having less deep conversations with people, which again is really sad because yeah. we as humans need those deep conversations to actually understand how what people are thinking, how people are, you know, what they're going through, that my life is actually similar to your life, that, you know, it's okay. You know, a lot of us are isolation and isolation actually causes this idea of bunkering down where you, you feel as though what you're going through is different to what everybody else is going. You, yeah. Your life's worse than everybody else's. And so it's really yeah. important to have those conversations where you both like, oh, you know, that was shit and, yeah, <laughs> I had a lousy time and, you know, the kids are doing this and it's driving my husband's doing this, my wife's, whatever it is, you know. Those are really important discussions to have because it makes us realise that we're all in this together and we're all going through the same thing and we can help each other through those things. Yeah, because it's so easy for people to catastrophize if they're on their own, mm. that their problems are becoming all they focus on. And then when they hear someone else has got the same problem, it's like, oh, normalized. Okay, so yeah, life life isn't just cruel to me. Life is, you know, tough for everyone at the moment. Yeah, and life is tough for everybody, but we need we need to understand that. But the mm. scary thing in with the next generation is they don't they don't have those people that they can have those conversations with because they never have them. So there was a survey done 15 years ago where they asked teenagers, uh, how many people outside of your parents do you have that you could talk about an issue with? And back 15 years ago, the average was eight people that they had that they felt as though that they could actually talk to. They did that again two years ago. This was before the pandemic, so it's probably oh. not worth it. They did that again two years ago, and the average was zero. They had no people that they felt as though they could actually talk to about issue uh, because they no longer have those connections anymore. Because as you said, they're looking at a phone rather than connecting with people. So communicating through a phone is not a connection where you actually feel as though able to talk to someone because yeah. the phone's there. And, and especially if you're actually texting through the phone, you know. And, and as they say, you know, the eyes are the the windows to the soul you know we need to look at each other in the eyes and when I was at Macquarie University I, I used to find it really sad because I used to have 900 first year students but whenever most of them came up to me to talk to me after the lecture or to talk to me if they had an issue um, they'd look down at the ground they wouldn't actually oh. look you in the eyes and it's like I'm up here um, and they oh. found, found it found it really awkward to actually look you in the eyes which I yeah, no, it, it's it's not, yeah, it's, it's a little scary. I mean, I mean, what's nice is that for teenagers, we, we've got less drug taking these days. We've got less teenage pregnancy these days. We've got less, um, you know, transmittable um, sexual diseases these days, which are all good things. But we've also got higher depression rates, higher anxiety rates, higher suicide rates. Uh, so, you know, which one of those would we prefer, you know? Um, and I think we need to realise that kids need to get out of their bedrooms and actually spend time 
with their friends, doing things that are, are meaningful, such as having a discussion. And they're not going to unless parents enforce it, especially with younger kids where they can enforce it. No. Um, and if they don't with the younger kids, it's too late by teenage years to, can't really control a teen. You can help them manage themselves, is my understanding. Is that, <laughs> is that correct or not? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we've given up too much um, of our control over teenagers. I think parents are too yep. easily believe that it's more important to be their friend than it is to be their parents, sadly. I'm probably yeah. being controversial, but we don't, kid teens don't need the, the latest iPhone um, to be happy. Kids need to actually no. socialize to be happy. Now, having restrictions on phones is, is something we, we should be able to do until they leave home. It's, it's at our home um, yeah. and they should be living under our rules. I also think that schools have a big responsibility here too, and I don't think they're actually doing a very good job, most schools. I, I think yeah. the fact that we have phones in schools is just incredibly risky. I've spoken to a lot. I, I work a lot with teachers in the US, and, and a lot of them are very concerned that there's going to be, at some stage, a, a class action against one of the school districts because they're allowed to have schools they're allowed to have phones in schools and because of the amount of bullying and the issues that are actually oh. around that, schools should be a safe place and yes. phones aren't a safe place. No. Phones, they're up, there's pornography and I don't know whether you want to talk about pornography, but it's a huge issue for teenagers, but there's pornography, social media, there's bullying that goes on, there's all these things that go on and they're not actually getting the exercise and so on. I mean, schools spend all this time going crazy about, you know, them eating properly and giving them the right lunch, yet then they allow something which is really, really detrimental to their mental health in yeah. their pockets. And, yeah. you know, they're allowed to use them during lunchtime and recess. Uh, it just, it baffles me why yeah. they're allowed and why they're not banned. And, and of course, I get this response that they're out there in the world and so therefore they've got to learn how to use them. But alcohol's out there in the world, but we yeah. don't have bars at school so the kids can no. learn how to use alcohol. You know, gambling's out there in the world and they're going to be, but we don't have TABs in school so the kids can actually use them. Um, yeah. We need to make schools a safe place um, and we need to make sure that when kids at school, they're doing things that are healthy for them and yes. sitting around. And, and it makes me sad when I go to schools and I, I see, you know, all of these teenagers all sitting around on their phones during lunchtime. Yeah. Uh, and just some of the schools that I've worked at where they've decided to ban them, you know, I'll go back six months later and the principal will say, it's fantastic that, you know, kids are actually borrowing the cricket set at lunchtime, which they haven't oh. done for two or three years. You know, we've, we had yeah. to find the cricket set because no one, you know, or they're, they're doing other things during lunchtime or they've, they've set up uh, their own social club to play chess or to do all these things that, because all of a sudden they've got to find things to do rather than sitting there on their phones. So, yeah, I think phones should be banned at schools and I think it would then make it easier for parents to then have restrictions because they can say... Yeah. You know, you're not allowed to have it at school, so you're not also not allowed to have it after six o'clock at night or seven o'clock at night, depending on the age of the kid, of course. Um, yeah. It has to be put away at that time and you have to do something else. You have to read. It's really good for their brains.
Yeah, and unless they're getting those boundaries, they'll never be able to set boundaries for themselves. No, exactly. You need to set the boundaries, and I think schools need to take the lead in this. Schools need to, because it's really hard for a parent. I mean, I had the problem, even primary school, the kids were at primary school, and then all of a sudden the primary school said, oh, we're bringing in, uh, bring your own device in primary school. And we were like, we, we, our kids don't have devices. And they're like, well, this is being brought in, so you, you know, we need to work around it. And it's like, so I have to buy my child a device so that they can take it into oh. school when I don't want them on a device at home. I can't imagine how a parent who, who or had already allowed their child to have the device at home and then all of a sudden they're allowed to take it at school. So all those restrictions at home then yeah. become null and void because child's going to go, well, I'm allowed to use at school. I'm being told I've got to bring it to school. I'm using it at school. I can use it at home. Like, Yeah, and I think schools have much more responsibility here than they realise and, and they need to actually be driving this rather than allowing both devices and, and phones. I mean, the sad thing is here in Australia, uh, we have more devices in school than any other country in the world. Good. Kids spend more time on screens here in Australia than any other country in the world. And yet our math, science and literacy is going down the tube. You know, and yeah. the kids now are a year and a half behind where they should be by the time they finish year 12. So a normal kid who finishes year 12 is equivalent of a 10 and a half, you know, year 10 and a half from, from 10 years ago, which is really scary. Um, yes. And we need to think about it because teachers teach, devices don't teach. We no. need teachers to be actually teaching, explicitly teaching. And there's no evidence that having devices in schools actually improves learning. In actual fact, there's a lot of evidence showing having devices in schools decreases learning that, that results in negative impact on their education um, yet we continue to put more and more devices in schools in australia and keep emphasizing you know devices in schools because supposedly they need to learn how to use them because they're going to have them later on or they they're in society now again you know they don't they don't need to have them at school to learn no. how to use them. They're going to learn how to use them anyway. And and the reason yeah. they're ubiquitous, the reason we have devices everywhere is they're so easy to use. Mm. You don't have to teach a kid how to use an iPad. <laughs> I've never no. seen a kid who doesn't know how to use an iPad yeah. know how to use a computer, right? So yeah. why do we need to have them in schools for six hours a day, every day of the week, from, from kindergarten all the way through to year 12? I don't know. Exactly. And I guess um, during the pandemic, it's become so easy for kids to be on the devices and easier to teach them remotely as as a teacher So and schools. So now it's about pushing back on schools to resume face-to-face -face teaching a lot more and require the homeworks done in other formats and... Absolutely. I mean, A, homework actually doesn't improve learning. So outcomes don't improve due to homework. If you actually get rid of homework, you actually improve outcomes. So I would get rid oh. of all homework um, until wow. they get into about year, year 10 or 11. Um, homework is actually detrimental for learning, which, again, I don't know why teachers oh. still push. Well, actually, I do. I talk to teachers a lot about it, and most of them yeah. will say, yes, I try to explain this to Parents, but parents want homework for some reason. I don't understand. But yeah, we, we should get rid of homework so they're not doing it on devices at home. Yeah. And devices in school are just crazy. We're paying teachers to teach, and yet we they spend so much time 
doing the back work so that the kids can use the devices. And it's actually more work to actually put stuff on Google Classrooms or whatever and then yeah. mark it on Google Classroom and do all the rest of it as opposed to actually just standing up and teaching the kids and then getting them to write on whiteboards or getting them to fill out pieces of paper. Um, much easier to do it that way. So we need to just go, hang on, this isn't actually good for these kids. This isn't resulting in better learning. Let's go back to what actually does result in good learning, which is teachers teaching and children yes. working on pieces of paper. And if children aren't having to do this enormous amount of homework that seems to be given to quite young kids, then again, we're back to socialising, social competency, self-regulation, which is resilience and we're minimising mental health problems, de developmental problems, and suicide. Yes, yeah. So we're, we're putting them through all these rigours that, that aren't improving their learning and are detrimental for all of the factors that you just listed. You know, we, we need to have schools where they're at school from nine till three or around about then, and then after that, they socialise. So they, they get to relax and they get to enjoy their time with other kids. During that nine to three, there shouldn't be devices, there shouldn't be mobile phones, there shouldn't be screens, they should be learning and using what we know actually works. So yeah. that then when they get home at night, they're not then, oh, I've got to get back on the screen because I've got to do my homework or I want to get on the screen to do gaming or whatever. And that's okay because I'm allowed to do it at school. If, if my teacher says it's okay, then it's okay for me to do it yeah. at home as well. So all of that would then allow kids or enable kids to spend more time socialising and their brains would develop in a better and more responsive way. And we would have healthier kids, we'd have more resilient kids, we'd have kids who don't have mental health issues that we have today. It would improve all of those aspects. Yeah. And it's such a simple thing to do. So simple. And if children are playing at the local park or in the cul-de-sac, you know, hitting a ball around together instead of doing homework, they're much more going to be advancing in life mm -hmm. and in their adult lives, yeah. it's going to pay off for them much more. Yes, yeah. And, and they're less likely to be bullied um, at school yeah. because they've got friends that are there. You know, kids who get bullied, unfortunately, are usually the kids who don't have friends, don't have the support when they're at school. But if they're playing cricket in the thing or they're, you know, hanging out with their friends, dancing or, yeah. or doing all those things that we used to do when we were kids, then they're going to have close friends that they're going to have those connections with when they get to school. They're going to be happier. They're going to be more resilient. Uh, we're, they're not going to have the weight problems. We've also got, you know, mm. obesity problems because kids are sitting in front of screens all the time yeah. and not actually doing exercise. Yeah, there's this whole gamut of reasons why. A, not having screens in schools and then therefore at home are positive, but also why not having homework is a positive thing and results in better learning because of all the benefits associated with that, with it. Yeah, and I, I also saw a report that reading glasses in children has really increased since the pandemic. Yeah. And again, all of that screen time, yes. bad for eyes. Yeah, absolutely. In China, several provinces in China have now banned, well, actually made it illegal for you to give a device to a child under the age of 13 uh, because of the eye problems. Because wow. in China, uh, it's a whole, it's a public, um, 
health system uh, and they were seeing how much it was costing them to supply eyeglasses to all these kids, which was caused by the fact that they were being given uh, devices so early on uh, because your the way your eye develops depends on what you're looking at for the first five, six years of life. And if you're looking at something close up all the time, your eye doesn't develop in the right way. So you end up legally blind wow. uh, as a result of it. So yeah, they've actually made it illegal because it was costing too much money. Of course, we can't do that here, but I think parents mm-hmm. need to realise that they are affecting long-term sight of their children when yeah. they're on devices regularly. So there's a lot of information here that really parents really need and would benefit from. And as you say, they're often driving the homework, not understanding that research is showing that there is no benefit. In fact, it's a detriment mm-hmm. to child. So getting that information out to parents will hopefully this podcast will help in that way. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a both. There's also the devices. There's also a push usually by parents to have devices. Most private schools have devices and have a lot of devices in their schools yeah. because parents expect them, their children to be on devices because there's this strange perception that they're going to learn better. But all the research yeah. shows they don't. They, they, it's detrimental to their learning is to be on devices. There's just simple studies. There's great, huge number of studies just showing that if you give a student a piece of paper with a whole bunch of facts on it or you give them the same information on a screen and then you test them, the kids who get it on a piece of paper perform better, remember more of what they read on the piece of paper than the kids who read it on a screen. It's that simple is that if you read it on a piece of paper, you remember it better than if you read it on a screen. And there's really good evidence as to why that happens and it's just fact and and none of the apps that are out there have any efficacy so there's no independent research showing that any of those learning apps actually result in better learning that are used in schools wow and what would you say to the argument that i'm sure parents would have some would have that well i want my child to be competent technologically and if they're going to fall behind be by comparison to their peers who have the tech skills because they're on devices and my child isn't then that's a reason and an argument why i want them on their devices or their computers but they don't learn and there's no technology technology is so ubiquitous because it's easy to use. I mean, the reason all this technology is used by everybody is it's so easy to use. When I was at school, there was no computers at the school I went to. Um, yeah, I can now program in six different languages. and It's not hard to learn and you can learn it all the time. And as I said, I haven't met a five-year-old who can't use an iPad and probably use it better than I can. You don't need to learn how to use technology. Technology is easy to use. That's why it's gone rampant and so we don't need to teach these kids how to use the technology in actual fact they don't learn how to use technology in schools they they use it for their maths and they use it for their english and they use it for history and they use it all these things but they're not they're still just using a mouse and clicking on different buttons and all the rest of it they're not learning how to use the actual technology if we really were wanting them to become better at using the technology we uh, teach them touch typing, which we right. don't do anymore. No. But actually having touch typing as a skill would mean that you are much quicker at your emails, you're much quicker at all the stuff that most of us actually do. But, I mean, the only thing that you do would need to learn could be coding so that you can become a coder, right, so that you can become yep. a programmer. But most kids don't learn that at school. 
and B, those jobs are actually going down. So maximum number of, of uh, computer programmers around the world was uh, in 2017 and they've been dropping ever since. Because yep. coding, there's so much coding out there already that you can just use that coding to do most things. Mm. And so coding jobs are actually going down and they're going down dramatically, really, really quickly. Uh, and most of the coding jobs now are either in India or in China. And all of them are actually shifting to those countries because anyone can learn how to code now and yep. anyone can get a cheap computer and actually do it. So, you know, I, if I want to get coding done now, I used to either do it myself, which would take months and months and months, or get a PhD student who could do it, which is very costly. Yeah. Now I do it and send it overseas to mm -hmm. India, where I know there's a good group over there who will do it for basically nothing and it's done in a week rather than being done in several months. So uh, those coding jobs aren't there and then they're really not going to be there in five years, 10 years time. What we need to learn and all of the lists of 21st century skills that we need are around communication, leadership, social engagement, emotional intelligence. These yes. are all the things that all of those lists of what do we need yeah. to be teaching kids for the future are around, mm -hmm. right? It's all around socialising. It's all about yeah. being able to be really good at, at spending time with people and organising people and, and uh, leading people and doing those things because that's what's going to be really important in the future. Yeah. not coding and not being on a device. It's going to be yeah. these actual social skills that are actually going to be really, really important for the future. And you can see that the Waldorf schools are huge in the Silicon Valley in the US and Waldorf schools have no technology in them. And the parents have to sign a form, a contract saying that they won't give their children technology and they won't have access to phones and so on until certain stages, until they're late teens and so on. Those yeah. schools are private schools, extremely expensive, and they're full of tech entrepreneurs in the Silicon Valley. So they're now building another one because all the other ones are all full wow. um, and all the tech entrepreneurs are actually sending their kids there. So, you know, your yeah. CEO of Google, you see how all of them send their kids to these schools where technology is not allowed and they've got to sign a contract saying they won't allow their kids to use technology mm. because they know <laughs> how yeah. bad technology is and they know that their kids, when they're actually going to apply for jobs in tech companies, mm. they're not going to actually want to know whether or not they've spent lots and lots of time on device. They're going to want to know how innovative are they, how creative are they, how... Uh, um, Good are they working in teams? And, um, you know, Google is, is renowned for hiring arts majors and, wow. you know, economics majors and yeah. all these things. It's not technology that's actually going to be the, the, the driving force or the, the, the jobs mm. of the future. They're going to be in these bespoke areas where people are able to actually communicate and get along yeah. with people and do all these things. So, yeah, I would say get rid of the technology and focus on the things that are actually important and are going to result in jobs. That's right. People like yourself, who is a tech expert, parents need to listen to that this is where the knowledge, real knowledge is about tech, its uses, its deficits. There is no drawback from not having tech mm. for a kid. In fact, there's benefit for not having tech. So it's it's in, in, the, in the hands of parents and teachers. Um, and if parents and teachers could work together on this and be on the same page, be understanding from the experts, including yourself, as well as following new people who are tech experts, kids would have a much better chance. Yes, yeah. And, and look at what's happening overseas. I mean, Bill Gates didn't allow his kids to have technology um, Steve Jobs is renowned for not allowing his kids to have iPads or iPhones until they were wow. in their late teens. Uh, 
Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have any screens in his house since he had kids because he doesn't want them affected by technology and has said that he won't allow them on social media. He won't allow his own kids when they get old enough to be on Facebook. So why are we allowing our kids to be on these things? Because we hear the public statements by these people, the public um, profile of these people so much more than hearing this knowledge that is the truth behind closed doors that, again, parents and teachers need to know. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in Australia, we, we seem to have gone, usually we're about 10, 10, 10 years behind yes. uh, most advances. For some reason, yes. we, we've jumped like 10 years ahead when it comes to technology with kids and technology in schools um, and technology with teenagers. And I don't know why that happened, but it is, it's a huge industry. It's a lot of money behind it and there's a lot of advertising behind it. And I think there's probably a lot of influence on government as well from these big companies that are trying to introduce this technology into our schools. Um, but we, we need to push back. We need to realise yes. that it's actually not a, a benefit to the kids um, and it's not benefit to, to our economy, to our, to our way of you know, life because we're going to end up in, yeah, not with the workforce we need. Yes, I mean, all those social skills, soft skills that you were talking about before will not be developed and we will be behind again because we'll have these tech-driven people, employees, but we won't have ability to lead and, and social soft skills and competencies. Yeah, and all those tech jobs, as I said, are going to China and to yeah. India because yeah. they're, they're seen as the, the, the new version of the old, you know, factory worker. You know, we've moved a lot of the factory working uh, overseas and then we moved a lot of the telemarketing and all those sorts of things over to India and so on because it was cheaper. Um, and now the programming, the tech, those tech skills are now being shifted there as well because, again, it's, you can get it done cheaper. Um, it's high, it's very manual, it's, it's a yes. lot of manual work. Um, it's typing, so it's manual on your fingers rather than your whole body. Um, but it's very tedious, right? There's nothing worse than it's having to sit down and program for hours and hours at a time. So people don't want to do it. And it's yeah. been shifted off seats. I, I don't understand why we're focusing on that in our schools. Well, again, I think it's probably a lack of education or ignorance rather than intention on the part of teachers and parents. If this podcast can educate and inform teachers and parents, then they're going to give their kids a much better chance for the future. And for their mental health, as we know now, we've got this shadow pandemic, which is the mental health problems caused by the pandemic and the lockdowns in particular, as you're mentioning the isolation, that lack of socialisation, lack of social competency, self-regulation, missing because of the use of devices so pervasively. And all these skills are needed so much for the future and for children in particular and for their attention bands to be coming back to normal. Anything else you want to add, Mark, we wrap up? There, there are several big studies in the US which have recently come out showing that if you teach a kid how to learn how to read on a device or on a screen rather than on a book from a book, the white matter tracks in their brain are significantly affected. So you have significantly less white matter tracks if you learn how to read on a screen than if you learn to, to read on a book. Uh, there's now a huge big NIH study, ongoing NIH study, which there's millions and millions of dollars into looking at whether or not that 
continues throughout life. But it's a real concern because it suggests that your brain actually doesn't develop correctly if you learn how to read on a screen as opposed to learning on um, uh, from a book. So white matter tracks are what we need? Yeah, so the white matter tracks are the ones that connect the different areas. And because reading requires um, both your, your visual system to be actually reading the words, but then you need your memory system to remember what those words actually mean. Mm. You need your motor system to remember how to actually uh, write those words, but you also wow. need then to be able to put those words together, like the whole yep. sentence that you're actually reading and then remember everything. So there's lots of different areas involved in reading and they right. are all connected by your white matter tracks. Uh -huh. And if those white matter tracks aren't there or are less, then you're not going to get those connections working as quickly yep. and therefore you're not going to be able to read as well. And reading is essential for basically any job we do. It doesn't matter what you're actually doing. You need to be able to read. Being so, someone who doesn't have the ability to read has a lot of trouble yeah. getting a job and it yeah. ends up having a lot of trouble in life. So, yeah, yeah we, we need to be aware of that. But it also is scary because that's something that we can actually study and control, but therefore we don't know what else is happening in the brain yeah. during that developmental stage we know that that's not developing so that yeah there's there's a difference in the brains of people who learn how to read on a screen but what happens with everything else is it a similar yeah. effect with everything else we don't know yet there's not the data uh -huh. yet but i would suggest that it's also happening for other systems as well yeah and that may be why we we do know that if the, the earlier you're given a screen to use or the more time you spend on a screen, the more likely you are to be uh, diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, wow. So there is a direct link between screen use and ADHD, which is a real concern. But that may be why, right? That may be one reason yeah. why is that those connections aren't being formed at the right time because of the fact that kids are on the screens and therefore they're not doing what we need to do to actually form those areas of the brain, which results in these abnormal behaviours later on. That is scary. Mm. So, Mark, people can find more information about you at your website, uh, www.drmarkwilliams.com, and they can find more information about what you do. They can sign up for your free downloads on how to stop smartphone addictions. They can look at your Connected Teachers Academy, which is your teacher's support site, and that you run regular courses, live chats, and lots of other useful stuff for teachers and they can book you for media training and speaking. If your child is struggling with a device addiction, mental health problem or developmental issue, consult a general practitioner and you may be able to gain a referral to a psychologist or Google the Australian Psychological Society. Its website is at psychology.org.au and look at find a psychologist in their database. If your child is at risk of harm or is suicidal, take them to your local hospital or general practitioner. Lifeline is also available on 13 11 14, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Professor Williams, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been a delightful and somewhat scary podcast, hopefully very informative and educational to teachers and parents. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Amanda. For those of you interested, there is a previous podcast with Professor Williams on device addiction in itself. 
and I recommend that podcast to you. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.